0: Sounds Like Scotland, a programme from the Scotland Sounds Network. Introduced by Alistair Bell from the National Library of Scotland.
1: All across Scotland, you can see and touch our heritage. Did you know that you can also listen to it? Scotland's audio archives give us the chance to eavesdrop on our past. As the Scotland Sounds Network, we're working to keep our heritage audible. Many historic audio formats won't be with us much longer, so we're trying to digitise as much as we can. Together, we've delved into our archives to uncover some of our favourite recordings to share with you. So, what does Scotland sound like? Let's begin by listening to the recordings that reveal our language and location, and the sense of place they create. Here, the last speakers of the Cromarty Fisher dialect, brothers Bobby and Gordon Hogg, lament the demise of their language. Kate Nicholson shares a Gaelic walking song, setting the rhythm for beaten cloth. Poet Josephine Neal contemplates what the environment thinks of us in her poem Mulwharker. We then listen into the hallways and lecture theatres at the University of Stirling's Pathfoot building. And in the borders, Betty Nichol and Elma Goodfellow describe their landscape for the radio.
2: Over the years you must remember this, since I was a boy, the whole language in Cromarty has changed completely. Me, I, mm-hmm. Once upon a time you open your mouth and you're from Cromarty. Right? <laughs> Nobody says that to you now. No. Every everybody in the Cromartie now are talking like Indonesians, mm-hmm. right? And Dingo people. They've lost they lost tongue altogether. So it's, it's it's washed off on us too, brushed off on us too. Mm-hmm. Uh, stands a reason, right? but the bigger one swallows up the smaller one. Right? But as I say, over a period of time, we've lost bit, some of it. We've lost They right? right. right. come up now and again occasionally, right? especially in, in names of places and you know around you
3: How did you
4: realise that there was just the two of
2: you? Oh, like we don't hear, you. Well, don't hear any. We don't hear any. Just at a tartar. No, no, right? No, i eh? no loving some. No, i no. no loving some. <laughs> Uh-huh. They know Marmara, that's no, no more reward. That we see something we don't know. We say, "Aye, asum." Who's that? Who's that? Aye, asum. That's like a kuchak sat. Kuchak, you know, is a company. A right? uh-huh. company. Right? Uh-huh. The people we belong to. Right? Uh-huh. Right. That kind of kuchak, you can put that. That kind of words. I said, you are always at. I would do both. I, I, I,
5: represents the birth of the granite mass mall It was proposed to bury radioactive nuclear waste in the mountain. And it called to mind for me uh, something from McDermott. We must reconcile ourselves to the stones, not the stones to us. A rumbling, gathering, roar, of pain echoed in yon lowing lums a blow man's understoning, Then oot the world's yirdie wame, I was born of fire. Even nature's spay men and tide, got tumult on their hearties at my coming. Dumfoonit they watched, slack-gabbed, as I was thrust free oot the molten fire o earth's great belly. Thrist, biff fire flecked, until the cold air that man breathes. Man? I couldn't agree myself to him at all, nor fool his pochtiness, wee shilpit crater, moving like a gallock on the earth's scruff, separate, loused, no rooted like me, until the earth's great core.
6: actually thought of a path and your feet walking along a path and
7: had that sense of the place. OK,
8: good morning. Welcome to the um, MSU 9.5. This is the first lecture.
9: For tonight's reflections, Alistair Campbell's been talking to Elmer Goodfellow and Betty Nicholl, two teachers who have recently retired from Edenside Primary School in Kelso. As well as having taught together, they've been good friends throughout their working lives, and Alistair met them in Betty's garden in Kirkietum
4: Here we are in, in Betty's back garden looking towards Kirkyettum, and uh, it's a marvellous view,
10: isn't it? What have we got in front of us? In front of us we have the hill called Stairough. And round the side of it is the road to Halter Barn, which is the end of the Penine Way. The Penine Way finishes in Kirkyetum village. On Stereff there is a craggy part called the Holy Hoos. And at one time the children in Yetim all believed that the babies came from the Holy Hoos, from that craggy part. And beyond Steriff there is the car, which is one of the higher hills. Over to the right and quite often in the winter time we know that the snow is really coming when we see the car white to the north we have the Vention hill that's the one that the Kelsaladi comes down before he fords the river to go to Caccietta on the Yetum ride
4: and that's at the conclusion of Kelso's civic week isn't it yes
10: on the saturday yes right i think it's a bit chilly i think we'll go in now shall we
1: From what surrounds us to what we've left behind, place leaves an enduring mark on our lives. Let's follow them in the door and step inside just what makes us feel at home, or not at home. Where is home? Where we are now, or where we have come from? Scotland's sounds help us to listen and to be heard as we navigate our way through life, with overlapping identities and communities. Poonie. The resident cat at Canna House is audibly upset by the arrival of three new kittens to his home. Jennifer Harley then reflects on the new town of Livingston in its early days. An author Louise Welsh wrangles with her identity both as a well-travelled child and as a lesbian living in Glasgow. Meanwhile, a group of Polish Scots connect with their multiple identities by singing Karolinka, a Polish folk song about a woman leaving a man for Pastures New at a song session in Aberdeen.
8: It was a pioneering time because you had to go up to people and introduce yourself as I said there was only two or three of us actually in the houses at that time and slowly uh, residents moved in I loved the house the house was very similar to the house that was brought up in big living room front and back windows lot of light coming in the only problem was the infrastructure didn't seem to be there there was no play groups there was a playgroup group in the Deadridge Wing, I think, and in the Lanthorn, but I was told my son would be seven before he would get down the waiting list. So we had a big public meeting in the Lanthorn and um, we we were enraged that that there was nothing for our children. So we decided to take action and we took quite um, militant action, I suppose. We decided to take our children down to LDC offices, take them in and say, we're going to leave them here with you until you give us a property or somewhere give us some hope that the children are going to have a playgroup not because we want our time we want them to learn to interact so we took them down and everybody sort of looking, wondering and they said, well you can't do that you can't do that, and we said, yes we can and we started to walk out which ended up with us getting a meeting with Leslie Higgs who was responsible for housing etc long story short they eventually gave us a workman's hut I went to school in
0: lots and lots and lots of places. <laughs> I went to school in so many different schools that I can't even tell you how many schools I went to. So I went to school probably first in uh, Singapore when my dad was, mum and dad were posted over there um, for I think three or four years and I went to primary school there. Um, and then I went to school in various other places in England and Colmarnock, Edinburgh. Um, and I think that everybody probably feels like an outsider in some way. and I think actually I've decided that that is the the human condition in a way that everybody secretly feels that they don't fit in. Hello. Come here. Hello. How
8: any you
0: I think I've always been a city dweller and i think I wonder if it's um it might not be but I wonder if it's Easier to be. I don't. I don't particularly feel myself to be different, but I wonder if it's easier if many things are easier when you live in the cities. Um, I've lived in Glasgow most of my life, you know, and I, I do think um, I do think Glasgow's a good place to live. I think there's a lot of um, cultural things happening. I probably wouldn't. Walk across George Square holding hands with Zoe, or maybe I would, you know. But I think you would probably be all right. But you, someone, you know, your night might get ruined—that kind of thing. Um, and I think in the last few years, that kind of thing's got easier. I think there's more general acceptance. So people used to often say to us, "Are you two sisters?" They, they, they would, they would know that there was something. There was a closeness there, but that that they couldn't quite distinguish and they wanted to know what it was. Or, or maybe they just being polite, you know, because in Scotland people do like to talk to you. Um, and now people would be more likely to say, are you both partners? So I think there's, there's a sort of shift there that I haven't quite... I, c- I couldn't tell you when that started or if it's us or if it's society changing. And I guess... I hope that that continues onward.
1: Our sense of self and other defines how we view the world and how and where we settle. But what of our work? Like it or not, our work can dominate our lives, just as it has those who have gone before it. But when we talk and sing about work, it's clear that our jobs can often bring us as much joy as woe. Stanley Robertson tells a Jack tale about Jack going to a farm to work, but having trouble knowing what to do with his payment. And two colourists from Bartholomew Mapmakers share trade secrets. Ian Wilson reminisces about the early days of lifts in Dundee's G.L. Wilson department store, while Alex Smith sings a song which reminds him of the fishing in Bucky before he learned to call Australia home. You will also hear the sound of men at work removing scaffolding from a tenement in Glasgow, and the twang of the trump or Jew's harp. The tune? Deal Among the Tailors, played by Lindsay Porteous.
11: There was once a, an old colour, and she had one laddie, and his name was Jack. And Jack was as daft as a brush. He didn't a kind of bee for a ball's fit, nor a egg for an acorn. The laddie didn't care nothing. Kind of but he was never showed nothing, so he didn't care nothing. Kind of and the mother was going through an awful hard time, so she says, Laddie, you'll have to see if you can get some kind of a job. He says, Fiddle a day, mother. She says, we well, are go on to the fair and see if you can catch a job after the man. Surely we can do something. So he goes to the farmer and he says to the farmer, Look, man, I'm needing a job. My mother's hard up and I have to get a job. He says, You ever worked before? He says, No. He says, Well, I'll tell you, you could mock with the buyer. And there's some odd job he's doing about the farmer. But he says, eh, I'm off a hard up myself just now because the farmer's racing hard up. And he says, I can't give you much, but we'll see at the end of the day how we get on.
8: You had your own brushes. They were really, really fussy about them because
5: they were from Russia. They were sable and they were terribly expensive mm-hmm. because obviously they, you had to get them into the most delicate point. point. So a cheap oh, brush would never have no. worked. And gradually you got you had to show your old brush to your boss before you qualified oh, yes. for a new one. Mm-hmm. And, and then we the eventually cost. got. These big brushes, mm-hmm. whereas before we were filling in large areas with, mm-hmm. what was that number six? A wee tiny narrow brush. And, and then eventually we got these bigger brushes, brush, and, brush. but I mean, uh, they were guarded. Yeah, they were looked after <laughs> by the boss
8: and you had to
11: ask to borrow them. So come here, please, mother, and he says, mother, i got a job. He says, that's fine, Jack, did you get paid for it? She says, he says, "I." said, i got a sixpence." He says, well... As, as the sack he says, well, I dropped it in the barn. He says, Jack, Jack, you didn't hear a sense about boring me. The next thing you get something like that, put it into your pooch, don't you know, in car together. So the next day he goes back to his work, and when he's finished his work, the farmer says, well, I haven't got any money go. He says, but for all day, he says, I'll give you this big jug of milk. But Jack, remember, for his mother telling him to do with you, Put it in his pooch. So he gets his milk, and he pours his milk on these his And he comes home, soaking wheat. His mother said, he slushed himself. And he comes in. His mother says, Jack, did you get a job? He says, aye. He says, what did you get? He said, I've got to grab a jug of the finest yerum you ever to see. She says, well, far is the milk. He says, I put it in my pooch. She says, Jack, Jack, you didn't hear the sense about were boring wheat.
9: For the lift, well, have to start off with the story about the lift. In nineteen in the nineteen fifties, of course, there's no health and safety in those days, you know. And the lift only had one gate. And you could just go and open it, slide it open and mm. get on the lift. And the, the the parcel boy in the basement, he had the lift go one day, and he went up. There's nobody on the ground floor, nobody on the first floor, nobody in the second, nobody in the third. And one of the assistants looked up from the fourth floor, on the third floor, there's a lady standing on top of the lift holding to the cable. Of course, she disappeared by that time up to the fourth floor, so she ran up to the fourth floor. She's got a lady standing on top of the lift. I said, Don't be ridiculous. So they, they wound this lift down, and nothing like that had ever happened before, so they weren't sure what to say. But she said it for them. She was immaculately dressed in a fur coat and white gloves all covered with grease off the cable. She says, you we'll keep her in a filthy condition. I'm never coming back to the shop again. And walked off.
11: His mother says, Jan, did you get anything? He says, I said, I've got a wee one in. He says, that's a kettle. Says, I put it in between 12 leaves, And the poor wee half-smoored crater run for its life because it wouldn't bite me if you buy You said, Jack, Jack, you didn't hear the sense you were born with. The next time you get something like that, could you not tie it be a string and walk at home. Next day he goes into his work, and he works so here. and after he's finished working so hard, the farmer says, well, only he can give you a big leg of mutton. And he gets his big leg of mutton before the smithers say to David, tie it, be
6: But they would sing it this way, no matter what's written down in the book. O we may the boat hey, row and better may she speed. O we'll may the boat hey, row so that the bear may breed. The boatay hey, rows the boatay hey, rows the boatay hey, ay rows farewell. And muckle luck at 10 the boat ay hey, mal we shot our lines in Largo Bay and fishes we caught nine. There's three to fry and three to bail and three to bake the line. The boat eh, rouse, the boat eh, rouse, the boat fair eh, farewell. And muckle luck at ten, the boat eh, a and Real. And those are the only two verses that I can remember, but they used to sing a lot more. <laughs>
11: The king's sitting here and the princess is sitting here with a sure sewer facade upon her. You're looking like I... And for the first time in her life, when she sees Jack, she feels a new sensation coming across her face, and she feels something tickling the edges of her lips, and she, she's fighting it all the way. And eventually, it starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger till a smile turns into like a grin. And when she sees a silly laddie carrying his mammy thing, she tells herself laughing, and the king says, send for that, sully laddie. And when the sully laddie comes, the king says, well, we've tried every court jester in the land to make us last smile. And you are the only one that has succeeded. He says, so said, I'll give you the job as a royal court jester. I'll give you a bag of gold to the camp to your mother. So Jack took his bag of gold in his hand and he jumped upon his cuddy's back and he went home please, mother and he says to his mother I've got a job I've got a bag of gold and I've got a good cuddy and his mother says jump Jack you do hear the sense of a boring story.
1: we now move from our working lives to the personal experiences that shape us both good times and bad our recorded sounds tell stories of celebration and hardship through our words and our music Stella Hendricks gives a first-hand account of Armistice Day as a student at the University of Aberdeen, and Donald Morrison shares a moving account in Gaelic of surviving the sinking of the I.O. lair in 1919 by clinging onto the mast. John MacDonald, mole-catcher and circus-lover, tells us of his childhood journey barefoot to see Bronco Bill's circus. We can experience being part of the crowd at Selkirk Picking Night, and being in the recording studio with fiddler James Scott Skinner in 1909. Listen out for the turning of the wax cylinder.
4: In the meanwhile, we'd had the armistice, I haven't told you. Mm-hmm. That was 1918, of course, Monday, 11th of November. And we, I never had the money for a newspaper, never knew the war was coming to an end. Uh, if you hear of things now or read of things, they tell you that people were realising the war was coming to an end, but we didn't understand that. It had been going on so long that we just didn't know. Mm. And so on that Monday morning when the bell tolled at eleven, it just meant to us that that was the end of an hour and that the next class would be starting. Yes. But as we were a chemistry lab thing, We went on for two hours, so we never moved. And then somebody burst in and said, The war's over. Good gracious. Well, of course, we fled down the stairs and chaos, all work abandoned that day. And the men were absolutely dotty, of course, at the thought that it was over. And so, how on earth we managed to. uh, Uh, acquire the garments but we had a fancy dress march with the torches that night yes and then of course the next day we were never content we decided we'd have the day off and the senator said no you'll go back to work we said no we weren't going and we didn't go but they had their own way back on us i know professor treyer looked at us very soberly and he said he said the war is not over yet. This is only an armistice. But of course, we couldn't understand this. Yeah. We dotty at the thought of it. Anyhow, they had their own back on us because when they did the um, exams, they asked the questions out of all the stuff that we ought to be getting the day that we didn't oh, go. You deep. see, only the med- there were some good people who'd gone. You see, so they were able to answer the questions. So they got their own back on us. <laughs>
9: He was able to get a message from the people who were able to get the to get a to the people to to
7: It was a long way. I, where I was born and brought up on the Davin we you know where that is. Very much so. Well, there's no shows or s- entertainments of any kind. But I just came to me. I was a born entertainer, seemingly. And I ran away from school and walked to see Bronco Ball's Great Wild West Circus when I was a boy, a 10 year old. I walked 14 miles from Dava to Forest to see it. And the 14 miles back afterwards. And I met old Bronco cell and shook hands with me. And when he heard of far I walked us barefoot. And only a shilling, ninepence a grand and threepence for something to you if he says an extra sixpence to you And that was money in those days, you know. Yes. That was before the First World War. And ever since that, I was a great circus living, you know. I think it's the greatest entertainment in the world. The real tempting circus. But I could the have never money for that, you see.
1: Times of celebration and commemoration, we can listen to our recorded sounds to remember the past and anchor the present. From song to story and from spoken memories to soundscapes, Scotland's sound recordings are as diverse as its people. Thanks for weaving through this audio tapestry with us. Together we've listened to some of Scotland's unique sound recordings from across the country, spanning over a hundred years and themes of place, home, work and times good and bad. We're grateful to the following collections for letting us use their clips. Inverness Museum and Art Gallery, Ambala, University of Dundee Archive Services, the School of Scottish Studies Archives at the University of Edinburgh, the Elphinstone Institute at the University of Aberdeen, Special Collections at the University of Aberdeen, Vanishing Scotland, Ness Historical Society, Scottish Music Centre, National Library of Scotland, Rare tunes, the Scottish Working People's History Trust, the National Trust for Scotland's Canna Collection, Our Story Scotland, West Lothian Archives, the University of Stirling, and Scottish Borders Archives. If you like what you heard, follow us at Scotland Sounds or check us out at www.scotlandsounds.org.